The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Changing the Game with HR Radio, coming to you right now live from New York where we are in a blizzard snowed in. That's right. Let me look outside and see what the buzz on the street is. Oh, my. Here's the buzz. It's from Ken Robinson, British author. I think he's flying overhead in a drone. Author, speaker, and international advisor on education and the arts. Here's the quote. Human resources are like natural resources. They're often buried deep. Let's just mull that one over for a second. So what are we talking about here today? Dramatic business and workforce changes. Come on, you all know what's going on in the workforce and business all over the world. These require us to think differently about a a topic we're going to call core HR, and we'll define that in a few minutes. Core HR, it's not just a system of record. It's not just a bunch of bookkeeping things or files. It's an agile platform where everything in your organization can come together to transform the work experience. I know that's a big concept, but we'll talk about it. So what does this mean for your HR organization? Well, you can build value-based relationships with everyone supporting the business. Sounds like a dream come true, doesn't it? Let's talk about what that can mean. It can mean engaging your permanent, full time on site or wherever they are and your external workers to collaborate in new ways. It is a dream. Maybe we can bring it true. It means using consumer style tools and social HR. Sounds very appealing. And it means maybe most important of all, helping your management design, plan, and implement better business strategies for better business results. Think about it. Do the math. If you have better strategies, better results, you're going to have an organization that has employees and values HR, and then everybody can come together. I think we've come full circle. We have four experts on the panel today. Let me tell you briefly who they are, and then we will circle around and start the show with their opening quotes. First up in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Rod. Roger Mettler-Camp, if you want to look him up, it's M-E-T-E-L-E-R-K-A-M-P. He leads the SAP Success Factors practice for EMEA within the People Advisory Services practice of EY, Ernst & Young. And shout out to all of our good friends at EY for sending us such wonderful panelists and thought leaders all the time. Second up on the panel... No stranger to Game Changer, Sherry Ann Meyer. She now goes by the title of HR Community Advocate at ASUG. That's America's SAP Users Group. Sherry Ann had a series with us about two years ago, and I'm still hoping she'll renew in 
and come back because we really would love that, Jerry Ann. Joining us also today, another newcomer like Roger, we are welcoming Ralph Wagner from SAP Success Factors. And rounding out the panel is our sponsor for this series extraordinaire, Dr. Patricia Fletcher. She lets us call her Patty. She's a leadership futurist and solution management director at SAP Success Factors. I added director in, Patty, because I didn't have that in my notes, but I I think that's probably what you are, maybe a senior director. So let's get started. First up, I'm going to welcome Roger Mettler-Camp from EY. He has sent us a quote from Alvin Toffler. Alvin Toffler, 1928 to 2016, we just lost him last year, an American writer and futurist known for his works discussing modern technologies, including the digital revolution and the communication revolution. And in case you're wondering where the term information overload came from, Alvin Toffler. His 1970 first major book, Future Shock, worldwide bestseller. So far, so far, it sold only 6 million copies, but it's still going strong. So here's the quote Roger has selected from Alvin Toffler. Quote, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. What a profound quote. Roger Mettler-Camp, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks very much, Bonnie. Thanks for the introduction. My pleasure. Talk to me. You're a big fan of Alvin Toffler, and how many times have you read Future Shock, Roger? I've read bits of it, buddy. I have to admit, I haven't read the whole book, but it's you know it's such an interesting quote because particularly because it was it was made in 1970. Uh, you know, advances in technology now are really changing the role of of HR employees and also the roles of the employees that they support. Um, you know, when when roles change, people's uh, specific jobs change. They they might even change their whole jobs. Um, you know, and they're having to look after employees that are going through the same thing because of advantages and, uh, advances in technology. Uh, you know, it's incredible he made this in 1970 because it couldn't be mm-hmm. true now. You know, what's happening is that people are having to, to change roles often, which means, of course, that they have to learn, unlearn their previous uh, roles and then relearn. So it's, uh, it's a very profound thing that he came up with. It certainly is, and and interesting that the use of illiterate technically means not able to literate, I guess, to read, to write, to speak even, Roger. I think we still have too many people like that in the world, but certainly we're fast-forwarding, which is ironic since, as you pointed out several times, he wrote this in 1970. What's the math on that? 30, 45, 47? That's almost a half a century ago, isn't it, Roger? And yet, Yeah, it's, it's wow. quite brave even that he, he would make such a prediction of the 21st century, 30 years before the beginning of Absolutely. It, you know? And yeah. what's even more interesting is that he just passed away last year, June 27, 2016. So he was he could look back on what he wrote almost 50 years ago and say, gee, I was really smart back then, you know? And isn't that the proof of a futurist, I guess, is to start predicting or futurizing, oh, I just made up a new word, early in life, and then see how it all pans out. I like that. Thank you, Roger. Great quote. Nice to meet you. And we're looking forward to a lot more from you. And I hear her already. Sherry Ann Meyer in the background, a sug. And Sherry Ann, listen, everybody, if you don't remember Sherry Ann for anything else, she's a movie buff. She adores movies. She she probably collects, probably has a, a file in her head or on a CD player next to her bed or her desk with quips and quotes from movies. She brings us the most interesting movies. And this time she's got a little dialogue from Simon Wilder, played by Joe Pesci, and Monty 
played by Brendan Fraser in the movie With Honors. We're dialing back to 1994. Let me just read a little overview from what I learned on IMDb, International Movie Database, if you're looking for movie information, convinced that his thesis will have him graduate from honors from Harvard. A stuffy student finds himself at the mercy of a homeless man's demands when he holds the papers hostage. Ooh, and the plot thickens. Here's here's the quote. Somewhere in here, there's a quote, and Sherry and I'll tell us which one it is. Simon Wilder, played by Joe Pesci, says, when it comes to relationships, everyone's a used car salesman. And Monty, Brendan Fraser, says, is that your philosophy? Don't trust anyone? And Simon replies, no, you've got to trust people, but you can't believe in the warranty. Sherry Ann, I love the movie quotes. I've missed you. How are you? I've missed you too, Bonnie. I'm really good. <laughs> Thanks for having me back on. I should thank oh, Patty for inviting me. Yeah. Thanks, Patty, for bringing together so far a great panel, and, and I know we're going to have a lot more from, from our other two panelists. So, Sherry Ann, come on, tell me a little more about, about the movie. So, somebody was stealing papers from a, a stuffy student. Who was whom? Well, Simon Wilder is a homeless person, and Monty is a Harvard business student. And this movie speaks to me because um, Monty is, you know, one of those typical Harvard students who getting ahead, getting his thesis done, having everything right on paper, and checking all the boxes is very important, and Simon stops and teaches him a little bit about life along the way. Um, and I think when we talk about HR and we talk about technology and we talk about the business processes, those things are all well and good, but then there's the life along the way. Um, and we're all people working for other people. We all need work-life balance. The relationships we form in life are, are all very important. And that movie was a movie about relationships, really, when you get down to it. Um, and everything we do in HR is about relationships. Very interesting. Sherry Ann, with your permission, I'm going to see if we can link this to the quote Roger Mettlerkamp at EY just brought us from Alvin Toffler when he says the illiterate will be those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Was that one of the lessons that Monty learned at the hands or at the mercy of Simon Wilder in the movie? Any thoughts? It's funny you should say that because when I read Roger's quote, I thought that's, that's exactly the point. Um, Monty could get through Harvard. He could pass all his tests. He could have his thesis done. But what did he really learn was the question at the end. And he actually had to unlearn some things in order to, um, at the end of the movie, um, the obituary that's, that's read to him by, that was written by Simon Wilder, the homeless person, says that he graduated life with honors. He didn't get his thesis done in time, but he graduated life with honors because he took care of people. Mm-hmm. And that's the relationships part. Thank you, Sherry Ann. It amazes me that you bring up so many movies I've never heard of. And I, there was a time when I was seeing 40 movies a year, just a movie. I still go to the theater, oh. by the way. Do you, Sherry Ann, do you still go to the, a real movie theater or do you do it all streaming or, or on DVD? What's your pref? I do a lot of streaming because I don't find a lot of people have the same taste as I do to want to pay and go to movies. But you know what? The older I get, the more I'm like, oh, the heck with it. I'll go by myself. So I'm starting to go back to the theater more because you concentrate more. And the movies, the sound, everything is much more powerful in a real theater the way it was meant to be seen. So I am starting to do that a little bit more. 
Bravo. I see about two a month now. And there's a theater about two blocks from where I live. So in any kind of weather, but not today in the blizzard. I bet the theater's closed. Uh, I hear a lot of movie theaters are closing, though, closing their doors because not enough people are going. We need to keep movie theaters alive here. Enough said, Sherry Ann. Welcome back. And and thanks for saying that my reference back to Roger's quote from Alvin Toffler was stunning. I appreciate that. I try. And now let's welcome our third guest. He is Ralph Wagner, R-A-L-F if you're looking for him from SAP Success Factors. And Rolf sent me a quote in German. I'm going to let him articulate it in German in a moment, but the quote is from Helmut Schmidt. That's Helmut Heinrich Waldemar Schmidt, 1918 to 2015. He was a German statesman and member of the Social Democratic Party of Germany, served as Chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany, that's West Germany, from 1974 to 82. Here's the quote, and I'll let Rolf say it in German in a second. In English, People who have visions should go to see a doctor. Aha. Ralph <laughs> Wagner, welcome to Game Changers. Can you say this more beautifully in German for me, please? Yes. So so I want to bring the international flavor into the show. Uh, <laughs> so it's called, Wenn Sie Visionen haben, sollten Sie zum Doktor gehen. Easier for What's you behind? to say. So he says yes. this when a, when a uh, journalist asks him, Tell me about the big picture in the 70s. And then he said, people who have vision should go to the doctor or see a doctor because he said that I can't tell you the vision, so this crystal ball and things like this. And when we talk about HR, it's maybe about some visions of invisible HR, transformational HR, adaptable HR, whatever, but this is not tangible. So if we do a little diagnosis, I will more come from, let's say, a business leader point of view and give you an example. So they have always moving targets. So I was at the Munich airport, head of the security, uh, led an organization. We had to increase the staff from 700 to 1,000 people. In the beginning of the project, it was about organizational design, headcount, span of control, things like this. Later on, it was about hiring hiring 300 people in six months, onboarding them, training them. Here again, the training piece come into play. Uh, and then later on, it was about shift planning, dramatic changes, demands from only 20 people at night to 200 at daytime. So what is the shift pattern to cover this demand and things like this. So everything around HR, always moving targets and uh, was a very interesting time and, and hopefully Oh, I hoped I had the tools I can use now because this was 15 years ago uh, to do this stuff and control and manage all those those activities. Mm, very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, did you think that uh, the chancellor was intending a sense of humor when he said that? Was he being a little bit sarcastic? You got visions? Go see a doctor. Yeah, yeah, he, he Always. Was very famous for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting. Reminds me of some jokes that my mom and dad like to tell. Okay, thank you very much, Ralph. Appreciate the sense of humor. Pleasure to get to know you. And now let's bring on our sponsor of this series, Dr. Patty Fletcher, also from SAP Success Factors. And she has brought us a very, very timely quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Just celebrated uh, his birthday here in the U.S. recently. We have a day that we take off named after him. And he was born. Actually, I don't know if you know this, Patty. He was born Michael King Jr. He lived from 1929 oh. to 19. So, yeah, how about that? He was I an American. Ba- 
Yeah, I, I do my homework. He was an American Baptist minister and activist who was a leader in the civil rights movement, uh, best known for nonviolent civil disobedience based on his Christian beliefs. He led the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott and helped to found and establish the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 57. He received the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolent resistance back in 1964. We have a lot of good look backs here today. In 1968, he was planning a national occupation of D.C. to be called the Poor People's Campaign and was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, and we experienced riots in many U.S. cities. That that tradition has certainly gone on and on here. So here is the quote. It's very timely always, quoting Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Patty Fletcher, a formal welcome. You're in snowy Boston, right? I sure am. I, I am next to um, two very large windows, and I can't see past them because we've already hit the blizzard. So my kids and the neighborhood kids are somewhere outside on a snow day. I have no idea. Hopefully they'll return, but I kicked them out for the radio show. Um, and, um, yeah, it's nice and snowy, and hopefully we don't lose the phone connection. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. So talk to me, Dr. MLK, Dr. Martin Luther King. Great quote. What are you doing for others? How does that apply to Core HR? You know, it, it, it really does apply to Core HR, and what's so great is, is we all chose quotes that really work together. Um, the first quote is, is fantastic, right? It talks about those who can make it in the future, as in today, are not the have or have-nots. It's the folks who can, right, versus can-nots. And it reminds me of the work that um, David Pierce Schneider does now. He's a futurist who focuses in on complex capacity and Edie Weiner. And, of course, the, you know, being able to build those relationships that Sherry Ann talked about and the very practical component of the work of HR and particularly in core HR that Ralph talked about. All of this is focused in on relationships and core HR. And I think the stuff we're going to talk about today is moving the automation and efficiencies with core HR are critical. Those are not going away. But it's what we can do with core HR, building relationships versus being behind this this curtain that's really about, ugh, it costs too much money, what's the value? And so if we put a focus in on, let's put the human back in human resources, and how are we enabling the people around us to harness all the best and available talent? And so that's why I chose the quote. Patty, thank you. And, and you know, through this series and through the one Sherry Ann uh, sponsored with us, we are trying to do for others. By the way, I looked up core HR, core human resources. Is there one definition that we should be, I, I talked about it in, in pieces, looking at it from various angles, mm-hmm. Patty, in my opening through the, the notes you provided me. I have a definition here on, on, actually, it's a tech target. Shall I read this? I just, just think the audience would like to know. Or do you want to? Sure. Okay. Core HR includes basic information and processes about the employees in an organization. It comprises personnel information like addresses, birth date, social security. We're assuming U.S., of course, here. Forms on eligibility to work, again, in the U.S. and withholding of income tax. Compliance with organization and government rules. Payroll. Enrollment in benefits like health, dental, and vision insurance, job descriptions and titles, organizational structures, and an employee portal and self-service. Does that encompass at all, Patty? It does, but it also includes things like time, right, collecting people's time. It's, it's payroll um, in supporting, I think you did say, the, the shared services. But, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It's those foundational components of 
the structure of your organization, right? So what does it look like? What are the jobs? What are the positions? And then absolutely that kind of compliance regulatory data that you need based on where you do business as well as best practice kind of data. And what you had noted is important. We're starting to move into the real social component of HR and CORE certainly has a a piece to inform that as well. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Sometimes we just say it, it, it just it rolls off the tongue. And we and on these shows, I try to always level set and tell people exactly what we're talking about. So and it's important, we want, just, just one more thing about that. Yeah. It's a non-sexy HR. <laughs> so it's the real kind of um, meat and bones of it. And, and, and we're seeing a shift in that, right? So it, it, it yeah. might be a little bit boring, um, but it's foundational. It's important um, to many things, not just the efficiency of an organization. And so that's what Patty, we're talking about. I'm going to do a little sidebar here. I, yeah, go ahead. Ralph, I hear you. Or Roger, yeah, who is it? So, Ralph? Yeah, so, so it was always more the view from the company how they mm-hmm. look at employees. And I think this is the change we see that it's, nice. it's my data, it's my life, my business life, maybe merged with my private life and how I want to see and represent it in the organization. I think this is the shift which is taking place at the moment. Not the organization is looking at the individuals, the people, they want to go on with their career, do something within a company. And this should be reflected in a core HR solution. Mm-hmm. Who would I hear? I think you're right, right Ralph. It's a real turn to paying attention to the individual. Thank you all. And you know what? I want to pay attention to the individuals on this great panel right now. We have a little episode, a little segment called What's in Your Cup Today? And because we have an internationally based panel, we're going to ask, where are you calling from? What time of the day is it? Or is it, what's the weather? You know, Patty and I are both here in the northeast of the U.S. And we're snowed in and it's just all white outside here, Patty. I can hardly see out the window as well. Where are you calling from? What time is it? And what are you drinking right now? If it's interesting, and if not, what's your favorite drink that you wish you were drinking or you're going to have later? Roger Mettlerkamp at EY. What's up? Hi, I'm in the office in London, our EY office in London, which is on the Thames, uh, directly across uh, from Tower, uh, Tower Bridge, etc. Um, great spot, but the coffee I'm drinking is not that great. It's uh, <laughs> straight out of a machine near my my office. Uh, I have lots of these every day if I'm in, and uh, it hasn't killed me yet, but it's, uh, it's certainly not the best coffee <laughs> in the world. So what would you rather be drinking? Come on, Roger, tell us the story. What would I'll you rather having, have in that I'll cup? I'll be having a beer just now. I'm going across the river to a venue. We've got an awards uh, evening tonight for you know the team uh, or part of the team that I'm involved with, and uh, um, it'll be it'll be a beer for first and maybe some other things later. <laughs> and is there a name to that beer? Does it have a label? Does it have something? Somebody says, hey, I want to have what Roger Mettler Camp at EY right across the Thames is having. What would they look for? What would they ask for? Well, you know, there's uh, the the English drink a lot of what we call bitters, you know, real old fashioned mm-hmm. beer, and it's got all sorts of funny old names like uh, um, Bomber and uh, Peckle, uh, Speckled Hen, and you know, there's all sorts of good names, but uh, that's probably what I would have a real ale. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. You want to go join Roger? You're going to have to order a Speckled Hen. We'll leave that one alone. Sherry Ann Meyer, where are you? What are you drinking today? I wish I was on the Thames. I'm in Pennsylvania. <laughs> And we just, the sun's out here now, Bonnie. The sun has passed oh. through. We got about seven inches. So I think oh. you're going to get a little bit more. Um, oh, I, I so. am drinking some hot tea today. It's from Chivana. It's one of their mixes called Samurai Chai Mate. Um, and they describe it as a sweet and spicy infusion of cinnamon and citrus undertones with papaya. 
And the reason I chose it is because the description further goes on to say, the way of the warrior is strength, skill, fairness, mercy, power, energy, and balance. I need all that. You are a warrior, Sherry Ann Meyer. Come on, you've always been a warrior. I see you on Facebook all the time with your daughter at her performances. You are a warrior in your job and in your work at ASUG, and you're you're my movie buff, movie trivia warrior. That's your official designation. So I'm glad you're drinking your Samurai Chai Mate tea. It is a trademark name, by the way, Samurai Chai Mate. At, at, yes, and it is on Tivana.com if anybody's looking to get the same power that powers Sherry Ann Meyer, our warrior. Ralph Wagner, where are you calling? Really from? Good. Very good. <laughs> I'm going to get some. Ralph Wagner, where are you and what's in your cup? Yeah, I'm calling from, from Germany, sitting at home. It's half past eight in the evening. Uh, and between you and the red wine, <laughs> there are 30 minutes <laughs> left. <laughs> I will drink nice. a glass Pinotage from South Africa. It's called Bioskloof. It's a very small winery. I had the pleasure to visit this winery and then you have some special moments if you drink such wine. Very interesting. Thank you. Special moments. You'll have to tell us about that next time you're on the show. And Patty (laughs) Fletcher in cold, snowy Boston. Patty, I made hot chocolate, but I forgot the marshmallows, and I don't know how to make them from scratch. What are you drinking today, Patty? I'm married to an Englishman, so I am drinking a cup of tea made perfectly. It's a gold-label tea. Very nice. And Gold Label, is it a, a dark tea? Is it an herbal tea? Is it, give it's me a little a dark, more. It's, yeah, it's a dark tea. It's like a Hassan blend. Yeah, it's a nice cup of strong tea. It's very good. Yeah. Sounds perfect for this day. Well, it, with with my hot chocolate now, you know, Patty and Sherry Ann know they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. There was probably a little caffeine in the chocolate, but I baked my, in anticipation of the snow, I baked my favorite pumpkin spice chocolate chip muffins, little mini muffins, about an inch and a half in diameter, and the rest of the batter I put into a four-by-eight loaf pan. And when the little muffins are gone and they're going fast, kids, I'm going to slice into that and have it nice and warm, heated just a little bit in the microwave, just a couple seconds, and I'm going to go back. I'll have some kind of a tea in honor of those of you who are drinking tea. We are having a really important conversation today. We are having fun, but we have a serious topic, core HR, changing the conversation for your company, for your employees, for for your management. HR is not just sitting around collecting records anymore. You have a bigger role in the company, and that's what we're talking about today. Everything better for everyone. Time to unlearn, relearn, and all that good stuff, quoting Alvin Toffler. Our special panelists today are Roger Mettlerkamp at EY, Sherry Ann Meyer at ASUG, Ralph Wagner, and Dr. Patty Fletcher from SAP Success Factors. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, so don't even think of, if if I'm going to change, you'll find out that too. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot more coming up here. And by the way, if you want to join us on Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Spell it out, and you'll know what it says. So, Michael, out. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP SuccessFactors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change. 
All to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. Indeed, we're not only changing the game, we're changing the conversation with our talk today about core HR. If you're just tuning in, my very special panelists are Roger Mettlerkamp at EY, Sherry Ann Meyer at ASUG, America's SAP Users Group, Ralph Wagner at SAP Success Factors, and Dr. Patricia Fletcher, Patty to us, also at Success Factors. We're going to start the roundtable now. We're going to make these comments brief and see if how many voices we can get with lots of commentation here, commentary. So Roger Mettlerkamp told me in his notes. I'm going to pick your, I'm going to pick your uh, two topics here, Roger, and then we'll have you talk about two minutes, and then we'll bring in Sherry Ann and Ralph and Patty, and then we'll go pick a topic from Sherry Ann and move around the table. You say technology advances are enabling major changes in the provision of HR services by organizations to their employees and businesses, and then you add in your next point: robotic process automation and artificial intelligence are the next major disruptors of existing business models. Let's put those two together, Roger, and talk about how technology is impacting core HR. Go ahead, Roger. Well, robotic process automation and artificial intelligence are affecting all jobs, uh, not just HR jobs. And and maybe I'll cover this uh, answer, Bonnie, in two two parts. First of all, Mm -hmm. for HR... Uh, particularly for, for you know, middle-sized big companies, um, is changing the way that the service is delivered in, in, in that sort of tiered structure. Um, I'm not sure everybody knows, but the, sort of a, the, the base level called tier zero is where employees um, will uh, you know, log in via their phones or their computers or whatever to, to get support. Um, and uh, tier one is when you phone uh, and somebody in a, an HR call center, service center, who answers questions. And what's happening is that because the technologies are so much better, um, uh, most employees can actually find out virtually everything they want through through the self-services, through the, through the tier zero. So um, it's almost eliminating that sort, of, that sort of phone line need with HR. And the good thing about that is a couple of good things. One is it's much nicer for employees. They don't have to wait on the phone a long time. They can find their own stuff and they can feel like doing it in their own privacy as well. Um, and uh, for HR people, they get rid of a quite a dull, boring job. So uh, that's, those are the benefits <laughs> of the of the technology. Um, you know, it means HR people are getting much better jobs, and it means that employees can be engaged in uh, in different ways uh, rather than having to wait on the phone to feel they should, you know, just to get some basic help from HR. Very interesting. So we are going a little more in the consumer model. I talked in my introduction about consumer style tools, and that means I want it now, I need it now, I need the information, and I don't have to wait. Thank you, Roger. Good introduction. Sherry Ann, why don't you talk about that topic for us? What are your thoughts on robotic process automation, AI, and business model disruptors from the HRPOV? Well, what's interesting, I don't think 
I don't think it's anything that new. I think it depends on the business as to how much they've adopted. Uh, about 25 years ago, I implemented a lot of automation at the company I was working for that did exactly what Roger's talking about. It just seems like people are just starting to wake up to the possibilities now, and which is very interesting. Um, but in my experience in having done this, this type of automation in companies before, Roger talked about the value-added roles in his comments um, that these employees can do. And what I've seen is that what happens to those employees? They're so used to doing everything by rote that they they need to be retrained. They need to be re-educated, not mm-hmm. just reskilled. How are we con- pursuing that continual learning philosophies in these companies now to take those employees from pushing buttons or, you know, answering rote questions to really, you know, seeing that they are value-added and um, changing the way of looking at their own role and taking charge for their job. So I think that's really, really important. And then on the flip side of that, on the management side, I don't think that um, managers are paying enough attention to contingency plans. What happens when that artificial intelligence fails, in other words? What happens when the robot doesn't show up for work because he's (laughs) sick? (laughs) those kinds of things I don't think people are paying attention to enough, and that's all part of, you know, putting the technology in place. Technology, robots, doesn't mean we need people less. It means we need people just as much, but we need them to be performing and functioning differently. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Ralph Wagner, let's add your voice to this conversation. What do you think about our topic on the table? I think there is a change in in mindset. So at the moment or in the past, uh, it was more the HR department uh, responsible for your data, for your processes, and maybe also for your career. And now with new tools, new technology, you you actively search, you search for learnings, for maybe internal uh, offer things like this. So so you take ownership of yourself, your career, your data. That data is maybe more accurate and things like this. And I think this is a fundamental change. Robotic will eliminate boring stuff, as, as Roger mentioned, for, for parts of, of the HR organization. At the same time, I think people take more ownership, more responsibility of, of uh, their data, their processes, their career, how they engage with maybe also managers. Uh, maybe, and I think this is also something uh, to to have maybe more visibility in the organization by updating your your LinkedIn profile, which is connected to your employee record and things like this. So I think uh, that the mindset uh, mindset is changing from a more, there's an organization dealing with my data to I'm the owner of my data, of my career, of of, everything I I want to achieve in a company. That's interesting. Linking... Linking your LinkedIn profile to your HR record, that, that's something I'd like to explore with the panel. Is that good or bad? And how often do people really pay attention to what they have on LinkedIn? How often do we update it? Guilty as charged. It's been, I don't know, it's been at least a year and I don't even think about it. Very interesting. Let's move around the table to Patty. Let's get you in on this and then we can briefly touch on that question. Go ahead, Patty. Yeah, and so and we have a show coming up in March on um, on machine learning, artificial intelligence, and and in HR, and what everybody you know has mentioned is is critically important, right? So as Ralph had said, we're all represented 
24-7 online, and we have no control over that. My avatar in LinkedIn is communicating with avatars from recruiting organizations and from other organizations that are, are finding me. And so being in, so, so few of us really own who we are, and that includes within our organizations. And that's a big responsibility for HR to understand. This, this movement that we're seeing is, is really is, and Sherry, and I loved what you said, and I, I'm going to ask you offline to repeat it because I'm going to steal it, um, which is probably the second thing I've stolen from you in terms of a quote, but, but it's more than just upskilling. This is a mindset shift. So when it comes to using um, robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence for things um, surrounding people, what does that mean for HR? What do they need to know? And also being aware of this can work against us. Roger, I saw in your notes around business beyond bias, and yet what we're seeing with artificial intelligence and machine learning is people are the ones who are designing the algorithms, and therefore their bias is in those algorithms. So, Sherry, and your point about, and we have to be paying attention, what if this, this machine doesn't show up for work today, which is fascinating, but what if it doesn't? It's insubordinate, right? On the management side, how interesting that we can have now all of this different type of data. And keep in mind, a lot of organizations, right, they have such great use of data when it comes to consumers, but they're not using it in the same way when it comes to the talent of their organization. And just imagine what they'll be able to find out. It's brilliant. It's really great. Patty, does that robot, Ed Cheria, does that robot that doesn't show up for work, does it have a LinkedIn profile and is it related and linked to its avatar and its current HR profile in core HR? (laughs) Who wants to take that one? Hello? Futurist on board? (laughs) You're laughing at me. That's a future prediction. I, we'll save that for the end of the show then. We'll find out about that. I'm, I'm serious. I want to go around the panel before I hit one of Sherry Ann's topics. I've got it all teed up here. But let, let's just start with Roger. Do you, do you advise or do you believe that everybody who has a job should keep their LinkedIn profile up to date all the time because it should be linked to their HR profile at their company or at the companies they work for? How current should LinkedIn be and how important is it? I don't know anybody who keeps it up to date that much. Roger, quick POV on that, and then we'll circle the table. Uh, in my profession, I mean, it's a really interesting question um, The you know for companies to battle with. In my, in my profession, certainly most people keep their profiles well up to date. You know, I'm in a people business uh, where people are buying advice from, uh, uh, from us and, and it's important to keep up to date. And, and frankly, most of uh, the clients I deal with are really up to date. I went to a, um, a lunch uh, meeting yesterday with about 20 people and, um, you know, I had a quick look at the LinkedIn pre- profiles of, of everybody there. Um, but I, just to answer your question, uh, very specifically, I haven't seen one client of mine which is trying to link um, people's LinkedIn profiles to their work profiles. Uh, you know, that's still regarded as a personal space. Um, what what is happening though in the core HR systems is that core systems providers um, are trying to make their software updatable in as easy a way as it is to update your profile on LinkedIn. So people can do it via the phone, via their PC, whatever, but it's so easy that people do keep their their own records and on the company data um, up to date. Very interesting. Sherry Ann, you're next around the table. Thoughts about the linking of those two? Well, I, I know a lot of companies are doing that, but I mean, really, what I tell my children, too, is anytime you're putting something online, that's you. You're representing you. So you better be very careful about what you put out there. And of course, as teenagers, they don't really get that. 
But I can tell you as a fact, I, I recruit speakers and writers all the time for ASUG, and I go to LinkedIn to get their profiles. And that's the first stop for anybody looking for anybody. If I'm interviewing someone for a position, I go to LinkedIn. I look, look at their profile. Um, now, you know, some people take the extra step and look at Facebook and all their other social media profiles as well. I feel like, well, that's more personal. But I feel like whatever's on LinkedIn, because of the way it's headed to be linked with your employment record in many cases, I think it should be your professional you, the you you want to present to the world as the worker. Okay. Very. Excuse me. I'm all choked up. It's so good, Sherry. And Ralph Wagner, talk to me. I'm going to take a sip of water. Go ahead, Ralph. Yes. Sorry. So I think I think it's it's based on on let's say in a life cycle, not employee life cycle, but your personal life cycle. In some mm-hmm. uh, at some stages, when you want to move with your career, you keep it more updated. That Sherry Ann sees you as a speaker or whatever uh, offers you an opportunity, whatever. Maybe. Two years later, you're not interested. You have maybe you get married, get children, and you say, "I'm I'm done. I I want to move. Not uh, at the moment. Not moving in career. Not moving in geographies or something like this." So I, there's no need to update it. So I think it's always based on a purpose. Why do you update? Why should it be uh, the, the the latest and greatest of you? But it should be you. I think uh, th- this is uh, very important that you don't oversell yourself. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Purpose. Patty, thoughts about that? Just quickly to yeah, round up I, this part of our... Go ahead. Yeah, and you know, it, it, this kind of comes back to what's the role of core HR or any kind of HR? And that is about mm-hmm. delivering the tools that are not around adoption, but around being essential. And Ralph, you just hit on that. So if if this is about a point in time in my life, Sherry Ann, to your point, if I want to get out there on the speaking circuit or um, I'm looking for a new job or I'm just a, an active member of, a, of the, the international talent pool, then it serves me right to make sure that everything I have is linked. And absolutely, there are discussions around perhaps we just have one big database where the whole workforce of the world is and therefore I don't have to always put in my name, address, and skills every time I join a new company, and especially for the gig workforce. But it is about, is this essential to the person, right? So Ralph's point around, you know, we're moving more toward the individual and less toward the organization. So if it serves you, yes. I personally believe because it's out there, I want to make sure it represents me accurately, regardless of if I'm actively looking for some kind of engagement or not. But that's because that's the stage of my life. In 20 more years, maybe not. Maybe in 20 more years, we may all be getting remarried and having more children. Who knows with what's going on with longevity today? I don't know. I got frightened when somebody said that. That ship has sailed. Okay. Uh, Sherry Ann Meyer, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's talk about money, 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 money. It's always about money, Sherry Ann said. Why invest in new technology when the current technology is broken? Well, she says, let's define broken. And we're talking about HR, core HR, investing in the kind of technologies we started talking about in the opening. So, Sherry Ann, define broken and how many HR organizations are saying, nope, we don't want to go with all of this this automation, what we call robotic process automation and artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and uh, maybe gamification for our employees to learn and grow. So what's your thought, Sherry Ann? Well, I think they don't know that it's broken. And I'll go back to when I started working on ERP systems. The reason they took off in HR at that time so much was because one, ERP was a great solution that many large organizations were looking into, 
But on top of that, we had Y2K. So in reality, we waited too long to upgrade our technology back then, and everyone was in a mad dash to upgrade to some kind of new platform. Um, and we all went with ERP solutions, mostly on-premise. You know, now, fast forward how many years, we haven't really gotten what we wanted out of that investment because the typical thing with HR is you're not a profit center. You're not bringing any money in, so we're not Mm going to spend more money on you. Any system we give for you isn't going to make us money. That's the theory. And every time an HR person goes forward to ask for a new technology solution or process solution and it's going to cost money, the question is, what's the payback to the company? Well, there isn't always a visible payback, but I think that we're getting to the point where very soon it's going to be too late, just like it was at Y2K. We're going to start to see very quickly that we don't have the staff that we need. We don't have the type of talent we need. We're not educating and keying up our workforces as quickly as we should be. And that's fear. So you have to stop looking about at the decision as it being all about, well, what's the investment? What's that return on investment? And more about... What is my future investment? What are my company's future goals? Um, not just looking at the dollars you're spending today because there is a cost to doing business, and part of that cost to doing business is having the right systems, processes in place to attract and retain and motivate your workforce, right? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Ralph Wagner, let's get you to chime in on this. Money, money, money. Investment in new tech. What do you see? Yeah, so so I think it depends also a little bit on, on the level where you are. For example, if you are a team manager, you have 12 employees or 25, you should know them. So I think HR cannot give some additional insights. But if you are more on a company level, let's, let's take SAP 80K employee, uh, you mm-hmm. don't know each and every individual. If you need skills to prepare for the future, what, what Sherry and uh, how do we have to upskill people if you have proper tools in place, especially on the, on the analytic side, and, and then you know upfront what you need to do, when you need to steer into the right direction. Uh, I think there you can really calculate, and I think there are some areas where you really have uh, the capability to, to show that uh, the tools can, can save money. For example, if, if you can uh, do prediction forecasting of shift models, if you do Let's say uh, you have negotiations with the unions or the, the works council, whatever, and you say, okay, if we do this, a salary increase or a, a base increase or whatever, how how will this uh, pay uh, off in in eighteen months time frame? Have we savings or not? So there are areas I think where we really can calculate and you get money back that so that there will be a return on investment, and in other area it's more this let's say belief that with a more engaged workforce, you achieve better results. This is more disbelief aspect. And you can't turn this into dollars or euros. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Patty Fletcher. Patty, talk to us. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, a big problem, right? For so long, HR has struggled with the whole business case around technology investment because they aren't necessarily speaking fully the language from finance perspective or an IT perspective. And instead, what we're seeing is billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars spent on programs, for example, for the workforce, right? The what, but not the technology for the how. Um, And so I I think it's a matter of mindset shift, which is um, quite important. And I don't think we're there yet. And 
quite frankly, not even close. Um, but I, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. I do think it's the Wayne Gretzky, go to where the puck is going, like you said, Sherry, and I think that's incredibly important. And then having kind of two sides. What does the business need when it comes to the structure of a modern organization? What does that look like? And then what is the talent that we need, right, from from the contingent to the payroll employees? What are the tools that they need in order to be successful? And I, I do think, Ralph, it's, it is so soft, but there has to be. We just don't spend enough time or gather enough data on the finance component to build out the business case. So it's it's extremely difficult, this one. And it's not enough for a CEO to stand up on a stage and say, people are our most important asset, which is the wrong thing to say because people are not assets. Um, But, you know, to to invest in the tools so that that talent can be harnessed, it's a tough nut to crack and not one I'm going to put in my silver, my, my, sorry, my my, um, predictions component at the end of the show. It's a challenge. (laughs) Roger Mettler-Camp, sorry. Uh, let's circle around to you and get your thoughts on this, and then we'll have just time for one or two more quick lines from Ralph and Patty's notes, because, Patty, you know we pack the house with four panelists, and it's a great conversation. We can't cover everything, but we will try to get a few more thoughts in before Crystal Ball. Roger Mettler-Camp, thoughts on what we've been discussing, please? Well, I, you know, I totally agree with, uh, with Patty. I think it was that, you know, different companies are at different stages and the value for them of, of uh, procuring a, a new HR, core HR system is going to be, going to be different. What is, what is happening now, um, in the market has been for a few years is the increasing move to software as a service. And, uh, no matter where somebody is in their cycle of an old defunct, uh, software system that doesn't support employee engagement or whatever, what is happening is that there's an opportunity cost of not going on a SaaS solution because SaaS solutions keep pace with the times. Um, you know, you get a regular upgrade, uh, in every quarter, uh, for example, and, uh, you know, when there's new trends in technology, for example, uh, such as, uh, elements of artificial intelligence, uh, within the software, those come as part and parcel. If you don't have a, a SaaS solution, then you're not going to get that, uh, you know, ability to keep pace with the trends for simply paying your annual subscription license. So, so there's, a, there's an opportunity cost of not progressing on top of all the business benefit reasons uh, that a company might have for changing. Thank you very much. Can I just add on to that? Sorry. This is really important. And, Ralph, it goes to your point of of the number thing. Um, And it's, you know, Ralph, I can't believe it. Like, you know, don't get me fired for not mentioning it. Um, But, Roger, what you say is so important, right? So in on-premise days, um, it was, I'm a CEO. I want my organization changed. It takes HR quite a long time to be able to make that kind of change. And yet with a cloud model or a SaaS model, it, those changes can happen very, very quickly. That agility and flexibility, I always say there's the demand for an orchestra from HR, predictable, scalable. Um, you know, I, I, everyone knows what they're doing, but really what people want is the innovation of a jazz band. And when we're looking at HR investment, that's exactly what we are looking at from a system. And you cannot get that with antiquated, siloed <laughs> systems that are in place. So it's a great way to be able to prove that that business case. 
Thank you, Patty. I'm going to try and bring in one more. We are actually in our crystal ball predictions round. I'm just going to read one statement from Ralph's notes here. I think it's important. We talked in the beginning. I talked about definition of core HR, bringing the total workforce in, new collaborations, new ways of working together. Ralph's note, very important. He says, include all people of your workforce into HR to gain insights into the total workforce. Your trainees, your external consultants, even your retirees are talking maybe even more about their people management and cultural experience, including this part of the workforce into the people engagement activities will pay off. Social media, Glassdoor, and others will show us the way. Thank you, Ralph. Patty, this is all we have time for, so we're going to circle back to, Patty, I think you have a part two brewing here because we had so much great prep for the show. Roger Metlerkamp at EY in London. He's about to cross that bridge over the Thames and go have a speckled hen beer, old speckled hen, I think it's called. (laughs) Roger, before you depart, my friend, I'd like you to tell us, I'm going to give you a Exactly 60 seconds, actually 45 seconds, but I'll give you one minute. Uh, what's your prediction in the crystal ball for the year 2020? What will change about core HR? Roger Mettler-Camp, go. A huge increase in use of artificial intelligence. You know, I can see that tier one, that call center level, almost completely disappearing. Um, there'll be chatbots. Uh, employees will phone in uh, and they will speak to a robot and they'll get... Uh, a nice, transparent, predictable, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, completely unbiased response uh, from uh, an easy-to-get-a-hold-of robot, no queuing um, on the phone or anything like that. That uh, artificial in- intelligence is going to be just enormous in all jobs and including core HR. Thank you very much. Very, very prophetic and uh, right on target from what I've heard from a lot of our futurist panelists. Sherry Ann Meyer, 45 seconds predictions. Go. Well, I hope I see by 2020 is that there's more of a commonality in user interfaces, whether it's, you know, on the phone, the chat bot, or um, a user interface online in a computer or on my mobile phone. Um, I think we waste an enormous amount of time creating user interfaces um, company to company to company, and there are some standards that could be deployed, just like there's a standard way to make a phone call using a nine-digit pad, and I think that would save companies an enormous amount of money and would allow us to leap ahead in terms of managing, using technology for HR for the the right things rather than just the user experience. Thank you. Very interesting. Always profound, Sherry Ann. Can't wait for your next movie reference when you join us, hopefully soon. (laughs) Ralph Wagner in Germany. Ralph, talk to me. Prediction, 60 seconds, all yours. Yeah, so I think uh, the only consistency we have is change, and, and the change is happening faster and faster. So I think also to Roger's point, uh, we need not the best system. So I think the race will made by the most adaptable system, which means a, a combination, a tool set of clever things where you can always adapt to the business needs and say, okay, there we need maybe more robotics, but at the same time, we need clever people to think about people's strategies. So we are, I, I know it's the old boring stuff, administrational HR versus strategic HR, but I think we really need this change and you need good tools to be adaptable very fast. Thank you very much. And now let's go to Patty Fletcher. Prediction, 60 seconds. That's it, Patty. Okay, I got it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
you know, Ralph, you're right. Nothing's slowing down. We are going to continue. We have a, a new entry to the workforce, Generation Z, um, and it's some, you know, the traditionals are leaving, the baby boomers are leaving. And so with every new generation comes new expectations. So what I see by 2020 is a continued double down on what are those more app kind of focus things, right? So we all mentioned those. It's not just about the big enterprise. It's about the apparization, I guess I'm going to decide to call it, instead mm-hmm. of consumerization of HR, making sure that as an HR person, I'm giving what these individuals need in order to have their talent harnessed, whether they are a payroll employee or a contractor or an intern or an alumni group. I'm seeing... Um, perhaps a lot of investment in the fluidity of those kinds of relationships as well. And that is new for HR to be responsible for that. So I'd like to say 2020 that they're using tech to help. Okay. Apparization of HR by 2020. Patty, it is immortal now. I'm tweeting it. So there. That's the way it goes. You talk, we tweet. That's the life. I want to thank Roger Mettler-Camp at uh, People Advisory Services at E&Y, a Ernst & Young. Thank you, Roger. Pleasure to meet you. Go have your old speckled hand now. No comment. Sherry Ann Meyer, HR Community Advocate at ASUG. Sherry Ann, don't be a stranger. Come back. I missed your movie references. Ralph Wagner, SAP VP of Solution Management at Success factors and dr patty fletcher always wonderful leadership futurist and solution management at sap success factors and a shout out to michael our engineer extraordinaire at the business channel team i want to say this wraps up our live broadcast week we had five live shows this week we covered everything from e-signatures to core hr i can't even remember half the topics great lively shows that's what we aim to bring you as real people like roger and sherry and ralph and patty having a real conversation around a virtual table having a good attitude good fun and sharing lots of insights. You can't get them anywhere else. So here's my call to action. You know what it is, especially if you're in the snow. Don't drive. But if you have to, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out carefully and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.